Flip in your Bible, if you will, to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Thank you. So, so you've done it. You know, you worked up your courage to talk to one of your coworkers or your friends or someone uh, about where you go to church. You know, you invite them here and you say, you know, I go to Fairview Park Church of Christ. And they say, hmm, Church of Christ. That's, uh, that's the one that doesn't use instruments, right? And you say, yeah. And uh, you, you open up uh, your Bible to maybe a passage like Colossians 3.16 that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You say, see, it says sing. So we sing. That's what we do. And uh, we, think that's, I think, we think that's all that God accepts. And uh, they look at the passage and uh, inevitably, almost, they're not going to see that. Uh, and you know, whether that is the, the correct interpretation of the text or not is one that is, we'll say, for a different sermon. But we are going to talk about instruments this morning from a different perspective. Not why they're right or wrong, but why they're not the best choice. And I want to make this argument because I think it is a far more convincing argument as we discuss instruments in worship. Because, uh, as I said, this, this authority paradigm uh, that we have, you know, we, we, can, we can hit them with a story like, you know, you think about, you know, you go to the Burger King and whatever, and you, you, you order, I want a Whopper with ketchup. And they, you know, they give you a Whopper with ketchup and pickles and a bunch of other stuff, and you're like, that's not what I ordered. And then, you know, they can counter back, and they can say, well, you know, what if you order a Whopper and they give you, you know, a side of fries? Like, who's to say that your, your paradigm is the correct one? And so, you know, it's just all of this back and forth and back and forth. And I just think that a much simpler way to discuss this is not a question of morality, uh, which again, different discussion for a different time, but a question of wisdom. Is the, is, are instruments the best way to do it? Are they the best way to fulfill uh, the commands that God gives us? And I would argue firmly in the stance of no. I do not think that they are the best way to do it. And I'll show you a variety of reasons why I think that. But first, I want to address some of the arguments in favor. People will, if we say we, we don't use instruments, then they're going to say, well, you know, what about this and this and this? And so I want to look at those and see what sort of merit they have. And I think uh, at the end of our discussion of arguments in favor, we'll find that none of these really hold up. Now, I want to say at the start that that doesn't mean that, you know, just because their arguments don't work doesn't mean that instruments are wrong. It just means that they don't prove what they're attempting to prove. And that is what we will see uh, we will find at the end of examining arguments in favor that instruments are not necessarily appropriate or right, uh, and they're certainly not commanded. So that's what we're going to see uh, preview here. But I want to let's look first. People are going to ask you. They'll start. They'll say, "Well, I mean, didn't David use instruments?" And then you know the argument is fairly simple. David used instruments, you can see a bunch of passages in the Old Testament where you know, uh, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, David sung and danced and they played the harp and it was a big ordeal. Or when the, it changed from mobile tabernacle to a, a stationary temple, all of the Levites that had jobs where they were like moving stuff, uh, their jobs got transferred. And so now they're singing and making music and playing the trumpet and harp and whatever else they, they were playing. And uh, you could also look at a passage like Psalm 150, where, you know, it's praise God with the timbrel, with lyre, with lute, with string, with horns, all, all the stuff. And they'll say, 
Finally, you know, linchpin of this, this argument, uh, Hebrews 13, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to agree absolutely that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But here's the thing. Just because God is the same doesn't mean that what he wants is the same. I mean, even within the same covenant, we know that God asked Moses to strike the rock, and then he asked Moses to speak to the rock. Like, God asks for different things sometimes. And especially as we branch from the old covenant to the new covenant, we see things changing all the time. And even our friends who are proponents of instrumental music will, will see this as well. I mean, you talk about animal sacrifice. We don't do animal sacrifice today. And it's not because the temple is destroyed. And it's not even because it's, it would be weird. It is because we already have a perfect sacrifice. We already have Jesus who died for our sins. And so if we were to start doing animal sacrifice, it would not just be weird. It would be a, a fundamental uh, undermining of our faith because then we would say that the sacrifice of Jesus isn't enough. And you, you know, fall into that whole trap of the Galatians where they're you know, trying to be uh, filled by the fle- uh, to complete by the flesh what is started by the spirit. And that, that doesn't work. And so we can see pretty clearly uh, that just because they did it in the Old Testament doesn't mean we should do it now or even have permission to do it now. And so this argument does not hold up. And again, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that this argument doesn't prove what it attempts to prove. David's use of instruments does not mean that we can also use instruments. So next argument. I'm just using my talents to praise God. I mean, God, he, he gave us, you know, give someone the... the ability to play the drums or to play the bass. And they say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just trying to use the talents that God gave me to bless him. And they would maybe even argue, I mean, you brought up Colossians 3.16, they would argue the next verse, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. So if I'm going to play bass, it should be in the name of the Lord. And you're like, oh, that, that, that sounds pretty good. But there's a trouble here. And that trouble is that just because something could be done for the praise of God, doesn't necessarily mean that it should be done for the praise of God in worship. So why are we here? Why are we assembled as a church to worship God? And it's a pretty singular focus. We're here to learn about God, to sing about God, to pray to God, to learn about God's word. Like all of these things are focused on God. Everything that we do here is is to focus on God. And so... When God blesses people, even with talents in in the Bible, like we look at the spiritual gifts, for example, of speaking in tongues and prophecy and stuff, um, Paul gets on to the Colossians, or the Corinthians. He says, guys, you're you're not using these gifts correctly because all of them, they all wanted to speak in tongues because speaking in tongues is the big flashy gift that everyone can see. And Paul says, no, the point of these gifts is to point people to God. And so if your gifts aren't doing that, then that's not, that's not working. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's not appropriate for our time in worship. And so it becomes clear then that when God blesses people with gifts to use in the worship assembly, there are things like discretion and wisdom and the ability to point people to God. And this will, comes in a very strong uh, dichotomy as we examine uh, what, what that might look like. So... If God blesses someone with the ability to lead singing in worship, that is not going to look like a voice like Frank Sinatra. What that will instead look like is discretion, the ability to pick songs that go well together that can direct our minds to God. 
And again, God blesses people with gifts of preaching, not with a voice like James Earl Jones, but with uh, the power to take God's word and make it practical. And so we see that when God blesses people with gifts that are intended to be used in the worship assembly, they're to point people to God. There's not a talent show. I mean, we're in Olympic season right now. I mean, and you can look at any one of the people on the Olympics. Uh, in, 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 my, in my day, wow, I sound like an old person. <laughs> you know, when I was young, I remember watching Usain Bolt and like Michael Phelps and these people who are like just insane athletes, just like design, even you can read when people talk about them, you know, divinely built. Like there is no way that they, that they were not just blessed with an insane amount of talent. Their bodies were designed to do exactly what they are doing. And I truly believe that they are praising God when, they, when Michael Phelps swims or when Usain Bolt runs. That, that, is, that is showing the glory of God in the way that he made people to work. But that doesn't mean we need to install a 100-meter dash thing in our auditorium or an Olympic swimming pool. Because while you can praise God with the gifts that you have, that doesn't mean it needs to be used here. And I mean, I've, I know people, plenty of people. I have a cousin, for example, who has perfect pitch. He's insanely talented as a, a bass, and he just plays every instrument imaginable. But that doesn't mean it needs to be done here. These things are different, you see. When we praise God with the gifts he gives us, we can do that everywhere, but there are certain kinds of skills, certain types of talents that point people to God, not an, exhibit, an exhibition of what God is doing in us, but a, an actual pointing to worship God and to focus on his word. And that's the kind of stuff that we're doing here. That's the kind of talents that we need to be employing here. So just trying to use my talents to praise God, absolutely. If you've got talents, use them to praise God, but that doesn't make it work here. Finally, in terms of arguments for, uh, in favor, how can, we, how can God be displeased with my praise? You know, I'm just trying to praise God. Certainly, he can't find fault with that. And this argument is pretty simple to disprove. You just go to 2 Samuel 7, where, Samuel, where David wanted to build a temple. And we're actually going to read this one. Uh, I know you're astonished. Uh, <laughs> 2 Samuel 7. We'll read the first seven verses. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see how I dwell in a house of cedar? The ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So Nathan, so David (laughs) comes to Nathan and says, I want to build a house for God. And Nathan says, yeah, that sounds like a great thing. You should do that. And God says, "Um, Nathan, when did I ask for this? This isn't what I want. Don't give him the green light to do that. And here we see just exactly this situation where David says, this is a good thing. I'm just trying to do something for God. And God says, "I, I don't want that. And this is apparent in lots of other passages. I mean, you can look at many places in the law where it talks about specific things that had to be done. You know, when they offer a grain sacrifice, for example, 
they have, they can, it cannot have leaven. It cannot have honey. It has to have salt. Like there are really specific things that God has put out. He says, this is the things I want. These are the things I don't want. When they offer coals, they have to be from a specific place. Like there are rules. And yes, the spirit of I just want to praise God is, is commendable. But we have to praise God according to the way that God wants to be praised. And again, this doesn't mean that singing this on its, these arguments on their own don't, mean, don't make singing with instruments wrong, but they do mean that these arguments don't prove that they're right. That is another discussion for another time. So as we look at these three arguments, what we find is that just because you have a talent doesn't mean you have to do it here, just doesn't mean that it's appropriate for the worship setting. And just because you have good intentions doesn't make it right. And certainly, None of these things would bind singing with instruments on us. And I know that's sort of a weird thing to say because no one is saying that we have to sing with instruments. But I would like to make that point very clear because that is going to be the basis for the rest of my sermon. And that is, Paul, Jesus, they don't say anything about instruments. And this can be taken in lots of different ways, but what it certainly does not mean is that instruments are bound on us. And if that is the case, then that means we can choose to not worship with instruments. And I am arguing that that is the best course of action because worshiping with instruments is a fun, fundamentally disrupts the things that we are trying to do in our worship as it pertains to worshiping God. So turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is where we will be grounding the rest of our discussion. Ephesians chapter 5. This is, of course, the parallel passage to Colossians 3.16. All right, Ephesians 5, we'll read verses 18 through 20. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, this passage is essential as we discuss what does God want in the form of our singing in worship. And I want to say that there are three very obvious points from this text that I don't think anyone should be able to disagree with. The first is that singing is required. It tells us to sing. It tells us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody your heart to the Lord. If you're not singing, you're not fulfilling this commandment. Two, it means that the songs that we sing, we can't just sing whatever we want. They need to be spiritual songs, hymns, and they need to have a spiritual focus, words that are focused on God. And if our songs are not spiritually focused, then they have no place in the worship assembly. And they are not fulfilling this command here. And finally, uh, of, in terms of obvious points, is that this, and you can combine it with a lot of other passages, our hearts need to be involved. I mean, you can see here that we're giving thanks always and for everything, that we're singing out of a, a full spirit. And you can look at other places where, you know, we sing and we pray with the mind. That's uh, Colossians uh, or Corinthians 14. So we've got these passages that teach us uh, this, this passage in particular, that teaches us three very obvious things. And obviously, many of us would add in a fourth one, which is that it says sing, so that means we got to sing. But I, 
I, I relegate that to a fourth position because it is not the most obvious thing from this text. And it, obviously, there are many people in the world who would not reach that conclusion from this text. And so we'll leave that one off the table for now. We're dealing with three really obvious things. We got to sing. They have to be spiritual songs. And they need to be done with the mind, with the spirit, from a heart of thankfulness. And I would like to argue that, that singing with instruments makes all three of those goals more difficult, not easier. So, first of all, they do not help people sing. As we discussed, singing is an essential part of this. And if you're not singing, it's not working. But if you look at a lot of these congregations that have, you know, praise bands up in front, the people in the praise band, you know, especially, you know, the guys on the keys and the, they're, they're not singing. You look out at the audience, there's people, you know, waving their hands and stuff. And, you know, nothing wrong with waving your hands. But if you're not singing, you're not fulfilling the commandment. And this, this idea that instruments uh, make it easier to sing is, uh, is odd. And this is something that a lot of people will counter back as we talk about singing. They'll say, oh, you know, it's helpful for pitch. It's helpful for rhythm. And, I mean, as someone who has who sat in assemblies before where, you know, pitch and rhythm were, were suffering and it's been distracting, I, I can understand that. But that hasn't happened while I was here. I mean, we have phenomenal song leaders here. And I'm just saying, there's like a hundred of us. These big mega churches, they've got, I mean, a bunch more people than that. And if they can't find somebody who can lead with pitch and rhythm, then like, I mean, come get one of us. I don't know. It's not, you don't need instruments to have pitch and rhythm. And so if you don't need them, and you find that having instruments makes it easier for people to be out in the audience, not engaging, not singing, then what you have done is you've added something to your worship that, again, out of the question of morality, just in the question of wisdom, is not helping people fulfill this commandment to sing. And so strike number one on instruments, they don't help people sing. Number two, though, they also don't help people sing spiritually. And this has been an argument against instruments for a long time. And, uh, you know, forgive me for just skipping over the first 1,500 years of church history because I'm not that strong in that. But I can tell you that in 1525, Zwingli, who is a huge uh, Swiss reformationist, he, he talked about instruments and he said he lumped them in with priestly vestments and chanting in Latin as things that are not helpful and they're appealing to the senses, that the people sitting in the audience, they're just, being, they're just having their senses excited. They're not actually gleaning anything from it. He says, singing with instruments, it's just trying to excite people. It's not actually helping. And so he says, look, if we don't need them, you know, God doesn't require them, then why have them? And so he didn't. Uh, in, in all of his churches, they they, they did away with, with those things that just appeal to the flesh. And then you can look at the songs that are often sung with instrumental music. And I, I don't want to paint a huge blanket brush because, I mean, there are some pretty amazing songs. Give credit where credit is due. I mean, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, uh, In Christ Alone, both of those are Stuart Townend, and he writes music for, um, for instrumental music. So I can't say this for all. But I can say many, many times, I mean, I've been driving down the road and flipping through the radio station. I'm listening to a Christian radio station for like 10 minutes before I realize it's a Christian radio station. And like, there's a problem there if I can't tell that your songs are about God. And the thing is, 
that the more stuff you add to the music, the more complicated it gets. And obviously, God wanted us to sing. I mean, otherwise, we'd be sitting here chanting in Gregorian chants. Like, there's something exciting and um, appealing to the senses about singing and making music. But at some point, the music can overtake the message. And I mean, talking to Stephen about music, he's like, I'm a words guy. And that's, I think that's the way that we should be. When we're singing, it's about the words. It's about focusing on God. It's about praising him. And the more things we're adding into that, the more distracting the message, the focus on God becomes until our senses, until our spiritual songs are diluted by fleshly excitement to the point that we're no longer having as effective of spiritual songs as we could be because we're focusing on the sound. We're focusing on the the way that it feels more than we're focusing on the words. And so the best way to have a spiritual song is to focus on the words, the things that we're saying, the, the praise that we're giving to God because the more we can focus on that and the more we can get rid of all the other stuff, the better we're gonna be able to sing spiritually. Finally on this, uh, instruments don't help people sing from the heart. And this sort of similar to the previous uh, statement, so I won't add too much here. Um, But I just want to say there are so, two things. One is that there are a lot of people who would argue that singing with instruments does rile up their spirits. But when you talk about worshiping in spirit and truth as the Bible uh, enjoins upon us, that the spirit that is there isn't really a kind of woo, wave your hands kind of spirit, although it, it, can, it can come out in that way. But the spirit that God calls us to have in our worship is sort of similar to the serial sermon that I preached a few weeks ago. That when we're praising God, it comes from our hearts. It comes from a lived experience. It comes from a hearts and spirit that are aligned with God. And if you take that kind of idea and also add in some of the passages about, you know, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and lots of passages about hypocrisy, um, then you can see uh, people who are worshiping God in spirit are worshiping God genuinely. They're worshiping God as people who are being transformed by his spirit. They're worshiping God from an experience of living their life in close association with God. And so, yeah, we can have our, you know, our fleshly senses excited by a really great bass line and, you know, some you know, kicking drums. But that isn't the kind of spirit that we're trying to have in worship. That is uh, a, an outwardly excited spirit, whereas a spirit and truth that we're trying to emulate in our worship comes from within. And yes, both of them have an emotional element to them. Both of them can get us really excited, but they come from very different places. One of them is an excitement because, wow, this is just so fun. And the other is an excitement because it's so true. It's so lived in our lives. And that sort of spirit, that sort of genuineness in our worship cannot be imitated by any other way. And so, yes, Instruments can get people excited and it can make you know, people more likely to get up and dance and move and, and have fun. But that's not the kind of spirit that we're trying to, to live in our worship. And the other part of this is that if we're trying to sing with our minds, then the less distractions there are, the better. And I know, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, 
that when I am leading singing, I have a difficult time focusing on the words. I do somewhat, uh, and especially having you know, prepared ahead of time all the, the songs I'm going to sing. Like, I know what I'm thinking, but I'm always, I've got something in my head. I mean, I'm thinking about pitch. I'm thinking about rhythm. I'm thinking about you know, crescendos and, and all the things that, that, that I need to do to have the song go well. And when I'm up here you know, serving on the table, I have a harder time than when I'm sitting down focusing on what I'm doing because I, I have a job to do. And I think that to some extent, like, you got to have people passing out trays. you, you got to have somebody leading singing. But the more people that you distract, the, the more people that you're costing what they could be having in, in, a, in the worship. So, you know, you got a guy on, on keys. you got a guy on guitar. You've got, you know, AV people for all of these. And, like, just a bunch of stuff that's going on. And the more people you add, the more chaos you, you create, the harder it is and the more distracting it is because you're bringing more people into this thing that, that don't need to be distracted. And so the simpler we can be, the better. And so as we choose to have our songs be done, a cappella, one guy leading, you know, some people in the back helping with the AV, like, that's like three people. Whereas you, know, you could have like 20 people in this giant production and the, that's 20, you know, 17 people that don't need to be distracted. 17 people who don't need to have more things on their mind than just worshiping God. And so if we can you know, strain out all of that extraneous stuff, that's great because it makes it easier for people to worship. And that's the thing. Like, maybe you can make a case that you know, none of these make instruments wrong, that we're just making a wisdom argument here. But just thinking about it, why would you choose to do something that makes it harder for people to worship God? Why would you do something that makes it harder for us to worship in spirit and truth, harder for us to do what it says in Ephesians? I mean, I could go on and on. I've got more complaints about instrumental music. I think that it creates a consumer atmosphere. I think it's unnecessarily divisive. There are lots of things. But we'll leave it here. It's not wise. It's not helpful. And so what do we do with this, because I think there's a temptation now. We're like, okay, we got a new argument. Let's go, you know, let's go fight all the people now. But no, I, I think there, this has to be handled with humility. It has to be handled with care. But I think that there is a truth as we try and go out in the world and we say, look, we're all trying to praise God. And there are just things that are not helpful in that pursuit. And so as we with humility and care and love, try and communicate with the people that we know about better ways to focus on God in worship, then we can take this, uh, this way that we sing that I really think is the best way to do it, and we can share that with people so that they too can enjoy worship and can focus on God the way that God intends us to focus on him in worship. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We'll now be dismissed to class.